Good morning, Grace City. My name is Scott McLean, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about small groups. Being together in corporate worship, whether here at the pavilion or watching online, is a wonderful thing and critically important. And it's important as we grow larger as a community, we also grow in our small groups. Grace City is fortunate to have a dozen or so small group meetings around the city at various times during the week. And I wanna thank the small group leaders for being consistent throughout the pandemic and uh, holding safe meetings via Zoom, and we continue to do that. Small groups are important because there are places where we can develop true friendships. We can have accountability to each other. These are places where people often, when it's safe, break bread together, have meals, and end up serving together in those smaller groups. Elder Jamon in the men's group here at Grace City has an acronym, MAN. It's mature, accountable, and noble. So we seek to grow in our spiritual faith. We wanna be accountable to each other. And nobility is about serving our families, serving the church, and serving the city. My wife Kathy and I are both in small groups here at Grace City. And we're also in uh, longtime small groups back in Boston, where we came from three years ago. We've been in them almost 25 years. And they're separate men's and women's groups. And they started out that way because we had small children, and our friends did, and we had to share the childcare on one night and let the opposite spouse go out. Well, our oldest is now sitting here. She's 25. Um, we remain in those small groups. And uh, again, this is a place where this summer, we were at a wedding of one of our friend's oldest. So we've lived lives with them for the last 25 years, seeing the kids grow, uh, being accountable through uh, the hardest times in our lives, and uh, we remain involved in those. So I encourage you to uh, consider small groups. There'll be a call to action at the end of the service and a sign up. I'll be out there at the circular tables at the end. Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jesus, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that no matter what we are doing, that you are at the center, that everything we do is for you. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in this time as we dive into your word, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, and that we would learn what it more about what it means to be live in community, to live in deeper relationship, and to grow in our knowledge of who you are and grow up into the identity that you have created each of us to be. That's all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good morning, Grace City. Thank you, Scott, so much for that beautiful testimony and sharing how 
living in community and being in that small group for so many years um, has made an impact and for sharing that scripture. Last week, Corey talked about, as we're in our State of Grace series, he talked about the importance of corporate worship. And as Scott said, you know, there is so much power and need for us to come together as a corporate body, but it can't fill everything. And that we also need places that we can go and to know God more deeply in an individual way and to be known in a way that just isn't practical here in a large group setting. And so we're going to be looking at this passage that Scott read from the early church, from Acts, and was kind of calling it back to the basics or back to the beginning. And when I was thinking about that phrase, back to the beginning, I, the song from um, Sound of Music and Don't Worry, I Won't Sing, um, you know, do, re, mi, we're going back to the beginning. The beginning is a very good place to start. And then they go through the, the scales of do, re, mi. And just like when they're going through the scales, when we hear the worship team, when you listen to music, you don't hear do, re, mi or re, you know, that arrangement. You hear the words, you hear the music, you hear the melody and the harmony. But at the heart of it is that do, re, mi. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to look at it as, yes, it is getting back to the basic, but it's not to be a strict how-to guide. It is about taking these elements that we're going to look at here in the scripture, and what does that expression look like for us here in 2021 living in Baltimore City? So we're mostly going to be sticking with this first verse, um, from Acts 2, 42, and let me just read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so I want to spend some time on each of those four things. And why do we think those were the things that they listed here? They devoted themselves to teaching. Jesus had just left. He had just um, ascended back into heaven. And many of these were brand new Christians some of them had known Jesus during his um, earthly ministry, and some did not, and were learning from those other disciples. They needed to learn the why of their gathering. They needed to know what was bringing them together. The word for church is just ecclesia. It just means gathering. We gather in so many different places every single week. But that's not church, because at the foundation of that gathering needs to be Jesus' teachings. It says in Acts 2, uh, 22 through 24, the teaching that was led by um, Peter, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked man, put him to death by nailing on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Everything we're going to talk about today is not possible without what Jesus did, without what he did for us on the cross, and that he died and rose again and paid the price of our sins. I've heard this idea of you need to preach the gospel to yourself daily. And at first you can kind of think like, Especially if you've been a Christian for a while, like, I know the gospel, what do I need to preach it to myself for? But what it is talking about is, what in that day do you need to remind yourself about the power of that gospel? Maybe one day you need to remind yourself that you are a beloved child of God, that you are loved, that you are seen, 
that you were planned before you even really existed. Maybe one day you need to remind yourself that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. That with the Holy Spirit, we can do more than Jesus could do while he was here on earth. Maybe that's what you need to preach to yourself one day. Maybe you need to remind yourself that God provides in unexpected ways and surpasses what we could ever imagine. I don't know that any of us would have written the salvation story the way that God wrote it, but it was more than any one of us could have imagined. No matter whether you have been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, we need to ground ourselves in this teaching, in this gospel, and remember, because that is the way that we make Jesus the center of it all. It says in verse 242 that they devoted themselves to. It was not just done in solitude. And while there is much to be gained in personal study and reflection, we need to be in teaching in community with one another. So my question, as you preach the gospel to yourself, who in your life do you need to remind of the gospel? Who do you need to remind that Jesus loved them? Who do you need to remind them that God's got this? Who do you need to remind that God's grace and mercy is never-ending? I challenge you this week. Think about when you, whatever, we all have so many things going on in our life. What part of the gospel do you need to preach to yourself? And who in your life is going through something that you need to encourage and remind them of the truth of the gospel? So they say they devoted themselves to the teaching, and then it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. And I think the word fellowship, when I first hear it, I always think of that like social gathering, right? I think we often in church circles, we use it as like, oh, it's a time of fellowship, we're just going to have fun together. Um, but this word is so much more powerful than just, you know, a time to watch the latest Netflix show together. It comes from this word, Greek word koinonia, and it come, the root of it means to partner, and if we look at what it means to be part of a community, to partner with one another, to come together for a common mission, it holds this greater weight. We can, a lot of times when we think of groups and partners, we come back and we flash back to those not so great memories of group projects when we were back in school. Did anyone actually like the group projects? Yeah. And I think the reason we didn't like it is sometimes, you know, there was always that, there was some people who were just in it to pass. There were the person who needed it to be perfect and 100%. There was the person that, you know, had five other projects on their um, plate, so they didn't need to worry about, so they couldn't worry about that project. And you wound up always feeling, at least if you were me, like you were doing all the work. But, <laughs> you know, maybe you were the one who had a lot on your plate and I should have given you more grace back then in school. <laughs> So, but when we talk about this idea of partnership and group, it is not like our school group projects. Don't flash back to that. What it is, when we talk about fellowship, we are talking about people join in the common commitment to the same mission, to see God's kingdom come here on earth, here in Baltimore City, as it is in heaven. When we join together for that common mission, we are looking for partners to walk alongside us and do that. Any one of us who've probably embarked on something hard know that it's a lot easier with a partner. 
It's a lot easier to maybe get up early and start that workout if you have someone else that you're meeting and you know you're gonna let them down. I have, I'm not married, but I have been part of various different partnerships throughout my life. I have lab partners, I've had work partners, had ministry partners, and I will say my ministry partners are the strongest partnerships that I've ever had. These partners, we have probably seen the best and the worst of one another, and we have come out on the other side more committed to our friendship and more committed to our mission than ever could have been possible if we had gone at it alone. I have lifelong friends who've moved on and we are no longer doing ministry together, but they are lifelong friends because of the foundation that was built as ministry partners. In order to have a partnership, you really need to know the other person. You need to trust the other person, and that can be hard. And you need to appreciate that the other person might want to do things a little bit differently than the way you would have. But with that comes the beauty of how God has made each of us unique, each of us in his image and his imago dei, and that we together make a more complete picture of him. So how do we build that type of trust to come together in that partnership? And it says, by the breaking of bread, in the next part of that verse, the breaking of bread here, it could mean multiple things. It could mean both the sharing of communion together, the Lord's Supper, or it could actually just mean sharing a meal together. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that idea of sharing a meal together. And back then it was often said, you may have heard it said, that sharing a meal is the most intimate thing that someone could do together. And I'll be honest, I always had a little hard time imagining, understanding that sentiment until Corona hit. Because I lived alone, and I didn't share a meal with anyone for over a year in my home. And the first time that I got to share a meal with someone in my home, and it was a simple meal, but it was powerful, and it filled something in my soul that I had missed for a year. Now in COVID, you do think twice about who you invite into your home, who you sit down and have a meal with. It's not just, oh, you're gonna go and have a meal with anyone, it is there. Um, so it is talking about when you open your home and you share that meal, it is a common act. And it may be something, you know, depending on your circumstances, you might not be able to share a meal with someone in your home right now. That might not be possible for you. But this idea of intimacy, this idea of sharing something, it's something that we can take no matter whether it is through sharing a meal or through another act. During the pandemic, one way I would try to circumvent my like loneliness of not being able to share a meal was baking food for other people and, and giving it to them. And at least then we were sharing a common food even though we were doing it from a separate home. Maybe it's a way of trying to just invite someone into your life. Let them know, it's, when someone comes over for a meal, they get to see the messiness of your house. They get to see um, you know, things that just don't naturally come up in normal conversations, a little mundane, but they get to know you a little better. Maybe it's by seeing an old photo that's hanging up of a vacation that you took 10 years ago, but then they get to know that part of you. And so as we think about that, so how can you invite in this time where I know sharing meals together is not always possible, how can we invite that intimacy? 
How can we share something that allows us others to get to know those little parts of you that seem too insignificant to mention, but are important to knowing the totality of each of who we are? So what can you do to let someone know a little bit more about yourself this week? And finally, the last point he says is breaking your bread into prayer. And I don't think it's a mistake that when you look at this list of four, that it's bookended by the teachings, committing themselves to the teachings of Jesus, and then committing themselves to prayer. Because those are the ways that we stay connected to God. Prayer is that conversation with God and how we are transformed and how we grow in our relationship with him. And just like any relationship, it requires regular communication. And this prayer is not just done in solitude, but also done together as a group. That you pray for one another, that you hear what is the deepest longings of others' hearts that they are pleading to God for, that they are asking God for guidance on, that you pray with them and you pray for them. And in that, you build that bridge between that person and God and you as three become joined even more closely. Who can you be praying for? Who can you invite to pray for you? Because that can be scary too. So we've looked at these four expressions of teaching, of fellowship, of breaking of bread, and of prayer. And so my first question to you is, do you have a group of people that you can dive into God's word with, that you can grow in your knowledge with him, where you can experience partnership and fellowship, where you have intimacy, and where you are praying together? My next question to you as you answer that one, are the people that you're picturing in that group of you with you, are they the ones that you chose? Are they the ones that God chose for you? I heard a quote once that small groups are the friends that God chooses for you. And I have been involved in, involved in a small group for over 15 years. And I'm going to be really honest, and hopefully no one that's ever been in a small group doesn't throw things at me. But I haven't liked every single person that's been in my small group with me. But I have learned to love them. And I have gotten to know God more because of sometimes of those people who I at first didn't like. I have had to find the Imago Dei, that image of God, in people who weren't like me, who weren't necessarily the people that I would choose to spend time with, but are the ones that God decided that I needed to know and I needed in my life. So my very first small group, it actually met just maybe like a block or two up from here. And I, when I was looking for a small group, I was very um, intentional and I had a list of criteria of what I wanted in that small group. And I thought I had found that group. And the first meeting, it was very clear that none of the criteria that I thought were there were actually in reality. Had it been an online date, I would have called it catfishing. But, I think that is the group, I know, I don't think, I know that is the group that God wanted me in. The leader that put the advertisement that had all the criteria that I want has no idea why she advertised it in that particular venue and why it was all said that way, but it was, and I think it was so that I would show up. 
This group, I learned, I grew in my understanding of who God was. I got to see new ways that people serve him and experience him. Some of those same people are here worshiping with me here at Grace City now. Some have moved away to other states. Grace City's mission is to reconcile people to God and to one another. And all of our ministries point to parts of our mission statement. But these small group gatherings, and they may be an official small group, it may be something else, but they are what allow us to, know, to reconcile to God, to know him, and to reconcile with one another. These are places that we can know him and be known. So I have three points as we want to look at what it looks like to live out these practices of the early church and these three points of, how to, um, of what to consider when we put these things into, into place. So whether it's an official small group or some other ministry, what we need to think is we need places that we invest. And so when you, we think of the word invest, we often think about what we can get out of it. And so investment is not something I know a lot about. So I did check in with uh, Brendan O'Brien, our resident uh, money expert. But he, you know, you'll say, I th he'll tell you, you put money in and then you get more money out. That's the goal of investment. And, you know, you think about this return for retirement or whatever it is that you're, you're saving for. And so, but at the heart of investing, if you want the money out, you have to put something in. You don't just get money out by putting nothing in. You have to make a contribution and you have to commit. I think in the past year, the stock market has been very crazy, and there was a lot of, as things were going up and down, people were really wanting to pull out their investments because they were afraid of what was gonna happen or they thought it was really good, so let me pull out now. And according to Brendan, the advice is just to sit tight, to not make that emotional decision when things are going up and to down, but to stay. And sometimes when we invest in groups, things get a little crazy, things get messy, and our first instinct is, let me pull out. Let me get out before it gets too bad. Or maybe life is so great, you're like, I don't really need these people. Life is great, I've got all this other good stuff going on. I don't need to be going to, the, to, to be investing here anymore. That's not the times to make those decisions because it's when those ups and downs, they don't last and you need to stay. When we think about investing, we often think about what we're gonna get out of it. But when you're thinking about investing into groups, into ministries, into God's kingdom, it's not about what we get out of it. It might be what someone else gets out of it. It might be what God takes, that small amount that you invested, and he multiplies that. He magnifies that more than anything that you could ever imagine. There are times that I've invested in things and gotten and walked away on certain days and felt like I got nothing out of it. And I know those are hard times and you wanna quit and you wanna walk away. I've also been blessed to have times where I know I didn't put much in and walked out with so much from a situation. I, when I'm preparing for this, I did text one of my first small group leaders she moved away in 2007, in, you know, over 14 years ago. And as part of that small group that I joined, 
there is so much of what I am involved in today, and even standing here now, I can trace back to relationships and things that I learned in that particular group. And I texted her, I said, I'm preaching on small groups on Sunday, and I want you to know that you're a part of this. That her investment 14 years ago may lead to something that comes here, even though she hasn't lived here in Baltimore for years. You don't know what you're gonna, where and when that return for your investment is gonna come. And it may not be something you see on this side of heaven, but there will be a return. We need places that invigorate us. And that word invigorate means to give strength. The ministries that we talk about to invest and to help invigorate us, they are things that are meeting outside of a Sunday morning. If we only depend on this corporate worship, that is one hour out of your 168 hours of your week. How is this one hour going to stain you for that other 167? We need more smaller and frequent interactions with other believers to get us through the rest of our week, who are able to point us to those teachings and who can remind us who God is. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you are doing. We need to encourage one another. And I think sometimes when you use the word encouragement, you think, oh, I need to have the right words, or I need to have this really good compliment to give this person. But I think we're overthinking this word of encouragement. How many of you have run like a 5K or any sort of race? And you're surrounded by people who you don't know who are lining the streets and just yelling, good job, keep on going. And it matters, it helps, especially if it's depending on where you are in that race. It helps give you a little bit more fuel. One of my friends, she loved race day and would get so fueled by all of the crowds and people saying that and coming together. We're all running a race that God has put out before us. And perhaps the best encouragement that we actually need is someone to say, I see you. I see it's hard, and you can do it. Just like hearing in a race, good job, when I used to run, I wasn't very fast. It wasn't like people were going to say, you're going to win. But it was like, good job, keep on going. And that's sometimes all we need to hear is, I see you. You can do it. So having these smaller opportunities, the chance to see what is going on in one another's lives. I'll be honest, and probably for that one hour here on a Sunday, it's pretty easy to put on a good mask and look like everything is going great for your week, right? But when you are seeing people consistently and being in community with them, that mask gets harder to hold up, and you shouldn't be holding it up. And you should be letting people see what is hard, what is going on, so they can come along and say, I see you. God loves you. You got this. He's got that. He's got you. So are you walking alongside? Are you letting people run alongside you in your race? Are you in a relationship with someone whose race looks a little bit different than yours? And I'm not talking about race, but I'm talking about whose path is a little bit different, but that you can still come alongside one another. And as you walk alongside, are you letting yourself be known? Are you sharing the hard stuff and the good stuff? And are you taking time to get to know someone else?
And this leads me to my final point as the worship team comes up. If we need places, if we need to be invigorated and we're looking for places to invest, in order to be invigorated, we need to have places of intimacy, places that we can truly be known. Large gatherings can be invigorating and coming every Sunday and being part of the community is an investment. But I would argue this third point, this idea of places for intimacy can only happen in smaller settings. We are called to be in fellowship, in koinonia, in partnership, and in an entrusted relationship with one another. And we are also called to be in those relationships with God and we need others around us to do that. You know, often I've heard this passage in Acts lifted up as like, oh, the early church had it so great. They were, they were, this is the example. But it was messy. It was full of sinful people who were making mistakes and probably hurting one another and by accident, and it wasn't perfect. And no community here, unfortunately, is going to be perfect. And for those of you who maybe are sitting here and thinking, I tried being in community, and I got hurt and it didn't work out. I wanna say I'm sorry. But I also wanna say, let's try again. We talked about, we ended, uh, for those of you who are here in person, we ended with a song, I Need You, and, and praying for someone across the other side of the pavilion, and the idea that each of us need one another and that a church would not exist without each of us. There is a small group, there is a ministry, there is a small gathering that needs each of you. They need to hear your stories. They need your investment. They need your encouragement. They need the unique image of God that you bring to that group. They need you. And don't think that you need to have it together or that you need to be worthy for it because none of us are and none of us have it all together. But there are opportunities to grow in our relationship with him and with one another. So I invite us to stand together to worship and sing that we are known by God, but that we will also allow ourselves to be known by one another. Amen.